but I, I don't I don't know if I'm you, Dave. I, I think I'm me. I reference McDonald's a lot because I go to McDonald's. <laughs> I love the silence that follows that statement. <laughs> like I just admitted to support dog fighting or something. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> McDonald's. It's fun telling people you go to McDonald's. They always give you that look like, oh, I didn't know I was better than you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Style Guide Podcast with your host Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing today, Steve-O? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. How about yourself, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. I'm noticing that every time I do the intro, I'm trying to like change it a little bit, but I don't remember to do that until I say your name, so that's why like the intro sounds the same until I say Steve-O, and then I try and be all creative with it. It's not working. It, it's a hard thing to be creative about because we have done it so many times this way that it's a routine. Just speaking in front of a microphone, I, yeah. I just want to say, oh, I'm doing fantastic, Dave. How about yourself? Yeah, so maybe we should just keep doing that. Like, why change a good thing? Yeah. Cool. So today is a, today is a special episode, though. Uh, very special. In fact, one of the specialists because we are talking about specials. Comedy specials in particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just like people who are special, but like um, it's comedy specials. And not necessarily comedians, but they're actual specials. That's what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, yeah. The the style and format format that is the comedy special, which yeah. is, is, is a format that is definitely seeing more popularity uh, in recent years. I think partially as a result of uh, it being a cheap form of media uh, to produce. And then, you know, people like Netflix really investing in comedians to let them play on stage for an hour. Yeah, and, and it is uh, for Netflix as far as it, it, producing House of Cards or a comedy special. Comedy specials, are they can pump out so many of them for the same price. And what's, what, what's great about that is that we're, we're seeing a bunch of comedians that a lot of us wouldn't have had access to as easily, I mean, even a decade ago, but certainly, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. I remember watching Robin Williams stand up and just being amazed that it was something that I could witness, that I could mm -hmm. I could watch a recording of it because it's such a live or it seems like it's such a live format. Definitely. Yeah. And that it does translate pretty well onto screen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is one of the, the fun things about it. I mean, and we're still in kind of the early stages of the comedy special as a genre where mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of people who are really taking it and trying to break it and do something radical or new with it um, because we're still figuring out just what a comedy special looks like. And, and so you can't really play with the conventions until the conventions are established. Mm, yes, definitely. So where do you want to start? What do you, what do you want to start with? For, uh, what, what do you want to just try and figure out what are the conventions of a comedy special? Like what makes something a comedy special as opposed to just a comedian doing something? What makes it a what makes it a special? What makes it special, Steve? Well, I mean, one of the one of the big big distinctions is it it feels like it's it's a move to the big leagues. Like we you and I have both been to stand-up nights before and you know, if somebody gets 15 20 minutes, that's usually a good night for them, you know. You yeah. don't you don't get a ton of time on stage and I mean, it would be it would be incredibly difficult for a single single comedian to actually make use of an entire hour of stage time. Yeah, unless they're special. <laughs> unless they're uh, special. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's true. I remember when I was uh, in Montreal for a while, I I hung out with a lot of comedians, and I'd go around and see them all do their comedy shows, and it was like the same seven minutes or five to seven minutes and they just keep working their seven minute routine until they eventually get like a 10 minute routine and then keep working the 10 minute routine until and the slowly growing up material until they could even fill 15 minutes let alone doing a full hour and having enough not only jokes but good jokes and good material that can span that amount of time like you gotta you gotta work at that yeah, well, and it's not even just a test of sheer ability to tell jokes. I mean, a comedy special is not just an hour of back-to-back -back random jokes. Or, I mean, there are some comedians that do that, but... <laughs> I was about to say, it could be. <laughs> but, I mean, it's also, I mean, a test of endurance and ability to really hold an audience for that length of time. Because, I mean, a lot of people 
A lot of comics can tell an, enough jokes to make you laugh once or twice, but to sustain that for a long period of time, I, I'm always impressed when, when I find people who are able to do that very well. Yeah. So as, as you're saying, it's the big leagues. It's like, all right, you're not just doing a seven minute bit. Now you're doing, you're the show. You're not part of a show. You are the show. Yeah. Yeah. Something I find the, the thing about comedy specials that I, I think it's where it, where the comedian's personality takes over the whole show of it, right? Uh, so if you're going to watch a Louis C.K. show, the whole show feels really relaxed and, and kind of like sloppy, so to speak, you know, like like his comedy and his style is. And very raw. Raw, is that the word? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be honest. Yeah, as opposed to like Mitch, uh, not Mitch Hedberg, sorry, but he's also very different. His is very scattered and um, <laughs> kind of schizophrenic. Like his, yeah, it's like his hair. But uh, and then like Dimitri Martin, who's like very like polished one liners and bits with like uh, like 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 uh, brings out like a sketchboard on stage and does like bits that involve that or he like will play some music and stuff so it's like very dimitri martin and it feels like this really polished every joke is like a piece of uh, like a haiku uh instead of louis ck which is like every joke just kind of rolls into the next and it's all kind of fumbling so i think the personality of the comedian infused over the course of the special is what makes it a special to me as opposed to just a set and I mean, that's the thing. We get to really see into the head of uh, a comedian and, and see see a version of their personality that that endures a bit more. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up is, is one of those things that they, there's a caricature of it. Like, there's the caricature of Jerry Seinfeld because of the Seinfeld show and what we saw of him on there. But when you see see a stand-up special, it is very different. So, similar to someone like Bob Saget, right? Like Bob Saget, there is a version of Bob Saget that everyone knows, and then there's the stand-up Bob Saget, which is actually a radically different character. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, like, I mean, Carlin, I think, is some of my favorite stand-up specials to watch. Um, because it is like, it's him just, just like going off on things, you know, for lack of a better word. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the one is where it just like, he starts it by saying, uh, basically by just going right after pro-lifers. Um, and you're like, Oh, what? Like the, what a way to start. And he just goes off about things he hates and he just keeps going into it now. Uh, and that's like, like, uh. I, I totally just lost my train of thought because I just remembered how great that special was. But um, <laughs> yeah, seeing the seeing Carlin be Carlin, I guess. Well, and and I I think you're right. Like the the rawness of a stand up special in in that like I mean I there are very few uh, comedy specials where I can tell you the name of like it's it's not the kind of thing that is important at all. I yeah. mean you. You you just say oh did you see the the Louis C.K. special or something like that or the Dane Cook special or the Russell Peters because it doesn't it's it's not as if that matters a great deal it's you get to spend an hour inside a particular comedian's mind and it's there's not a for most of them a particular plot that you follow through yeah like if I well I mean because there are exceptions to that of course like there are specials where the name of the special is actually a, a very important part of the special. Uh, so uh, like uh, Maria Bamford's uh, special, special, special. <laughs> I remember that it's called the special, special, special. And it is a perfect encapsulation of Maria Bamford and her stand-up. Have, have you seen it? Did you watch the special, special, special? I think that I have. No, no, it, it, maybe it, not. Maybe not. It's the one where she's doing a stand-up special exclusively for her parents yes yeah yeah and it's just her parents on the couch and her in their living room and she has a musician there uh and at one point like pizza shows up uh, and they have like a pizza break in the middle like it is the most absurd kind of like perfect encapsulation of maria pamford in a special that is both hilarious and awkward and funny and sometimes uncomfortable well and i think that that the specials like that point to 
the difficulty of both establishing and breaking the conventions of a comedy special because that's a good example of one that watching it I'm like this is I almost wouldn't call this a comedy special just because of how how strange and divergent from a Louis C.K. Uh, sketches but at the same time it is unique to the the comedian so much that I mean, the conventions come from the speaker instead of from the format itself. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, is a comedy special a comedian standing at a microphone talking? Maybe, but maybe not, depending on that comedian, right? Um, I think one of my my favorite comedy specials uh, is the If I, Dimitri Martin's If I special, right. which, pl- which watches more like a one-man play. Or like a, it feels like a fringe show. It doesn't feel like I'm watching a stand-up comedian do a stand-up bit, because there's like, like he has a projector at some points and he's showing photos from his life. He like, like, like he talks about juggling and he talks about him and he does like this, this stuff with all the wordplay he does. Like, uh, what are those things that are forwards and backwards? A palindrome. Palindromes and how he wrote like a, a palindrome that's like three paragraphs long or something like that. And it's just sort of like an insight into him and his quirky life and the weird things that he does. Uh, and that kind of special is very, very different than like Eddie Murphy's Delirious, which is just Eddie Murphy talking. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I would still call them both specials. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. And I would say when watching it, you you really... You don't get the feel that something is is different or wrong, and and that's I mean when you watch uh, a f- like when you watch a Tarantino western, you're watching it and you're going, this isn't quite a western. Yeah, you know it doesn't it doesn't feel like it. Um, but when you're watching most comedy specials, they feel like they are a comedy special that is just well suited to that particular comedian. Yeah, sometimes not well suited. Like they're the, like one of Seinfeld's old ones where he's doing sketches in the middle of it, and it's they're terrible because of course Jerry Seinfeld's not a good actor. We all know this. We watch the show, but like it's this like they're doing these weird sketches in between his stand-up bits, and you're like, why are you doing these sketches? This doesn't fit Jerry Seinfeld. We just want to hear him make funny observations. Well, and it. I mean, that makes me think, like, we've talked uh, a lot about Whoopi Goldberg, but Whoopi's early stand-up where she played a bunch of different characters? Yeah. I, I mean, I can I can see why people like that, but for for me, that was always a strange sort of, like, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't Whoopi enough, you know? Yeah. I, it, and, and, of course, it wasn't. She was playing characters instead of playing herself, which gets to this fine line where lots of comedians on stage are playing characters. Yeah, or at least doing character voices at the very least. Yeah, well, I mean, somebody like Anthony Jeselnik, who he, his Thoughts and Prayers comedy special is a good example where the name is is actually, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty good setup within the show. But, I mean, he makes it very clear in his, his, his stand-up that he is playing a character on stage who is more of an asshole than he is in real life. Sure, yeah. And I'm sure Bill Burr's like that too, right? Like, I don't think he's that big of an asshole. I don't know. He he came to Ottawa, uh, and uh, a buddy of mine saw him, and he was just, just an absolute dick to a bunch of people in the audience, just seemingly because... Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that's his shtick, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe he's actually an asshole in real life. Maybe he is. Maybe he really is. I mean, some people have to be, you know. Yeah, definitely. There are going to be some comedians out there who are who are just jerks. But I, but you're right. There, there, there is a degree to which, yes, there's a persona on stage, and it, it's interesting because we feel like we get more insight into them. You know, it feels like it's a a more honest engagement with the the comedian than you would get from say watching Seinfeld, right? Seinfeld stand-up versus watching Seinfeld in real life, the TV show. Yeah. Even though that's uh, that's a questionable sort of claim to make because lots of, I mean, Robin Williams is another good example. You know, somebody who who was a, was a very active, loud, and outrageous stand-up comic and, in fact, 
carried that same persona into his acting, but also was a very uh, often subdued and quiet person in his own life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we we like the idea that we're getting more of their life, but we I think we often forget that we're not actually they are they are a monkey dancing on stage for our entertainment first and foremost. And so it it's one of those I think I think we I, I think one of the things to remember about any sort of format like that is that we're asking them to lie to us because we want we want to be entertained first and foremost. Yeah. And so we're we're willing to like overlook the obvious falsehoods of their claims. Yeah. Like when they say things like, Oh, yesterday I was down at this cafe. It's like we know they weren't doing that yesterday, but whatever. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, and then Dimitri Martin Martin is a good example of somebody who pokes fun at that, you know, who will who will talk about some uh, I'm trying to remember the bit. Somebody who said, Oh, Dimitri, can I be in one of your jokes? And and then he talks about this fictional person. And he talks yeah. about him as a fictional person. Yeah. <laughs> it it ends up being a, a funny sort of uh, meta engagement. Yeah. I mean, except for Dave Chappelle. Because I'm pretty sure that's just Dave Chappelle. That's just him. And that's just the guy he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's just super chill, cool dude. Kind of like laughing at his own jokes. Like, <laughs> I like Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, Dave Chappelle, Mitch Hedberg. So uh, answer me this question then. Mm -hmm. um so there's a thing in, in spoken word poetry where poets make things called chapbooks mm -hmm. uh, where they some of them just take a bunch of their poems and put them in a chapbook and others will create a chapbook that follows a certain theme or flow or are meant to be poems that are meant to be read not just spoken word poems all written down mm -hmm. uh and and create like an actual like book that feels like a a solid piece of something you'd read from start to finish uh, and I've always preferred the the latter there, the one that feels like a whole piece, yeah, as opposed to the one that's just a collage of their poems. And so when it comes to stand up, uh, I feel like the, when it comes to specials, there's those two kinds of specials. There's the special that's just like this comedian has pieced together a bunch of their bits and a or a bunch of bits that loosely they find segues to get from one to the other. Uh, to go through their jokes. Or there's the the special that all fits together like one sort of entire thought uh which do you prefer i prefer the latter one uh i mean it the, in some ways that's not surprising you know as somebody who who's a big fan of stories and narratives i like when any format is able to pull together a a single narrative or or something that you know covers the entire uh the entire piece and I particularly like that when they're able to do that within what appears to be the the former category. Of just it seems like it's just a bunch of jokes, but really it's all one big solid piece. Yeah, and they and they've been able to layer it really well and cleverly. Yeah. So now here's the question. The real question is how many of those uh are there? Those things that fit together. Those those uh, I don't know what we're calling them. There's the standard special, and then there's the special special. What do you want to call it? The uh, the the cohesive special. I guess. Sure. How many of those are there really? Because I can only maybe think of like like two or three, uh, and that's a maybe. Okay. Because like when I think of like like Mitch Head, not Mitch Hedberg. Sorry. Um, I keep mixing it up. Dimitri Martin and his If I special. It all fits together in one big cohesive piece surrounding the title If I, and it's really, like, great. Maria Bamford's special 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 kind of does that, but at the same time, it is just sort of a standard special. But because it's in her parents' living room, it all kind of ties together into this one cohesive. The whole thing in itself is, like, almost one big joke. But a lot of the specials that I know I like are, like, you know, like Louis C.K.'s specials. Seldom do they all tie together. Yeah. Into one cohesive piece. But I do enjoy the specials. But I think that's why I don't know the names of which specials which, you know. Or they're just called like Live at the Comedy Store, which is like, oh, the jokes he told that time at the Comedy Store. Um, it's not necessarily a full piece. Uh, Ricky Gervais kind of did that with fame. Kind of, yeah. Fame, where it's like a lot of the bits are all about fame and being famous and what it's like to be famous now that he's famous, like all that kind of thing. So it kind of had like a, a cohesive piece to it, which I guess fits with the, with the fact that Ricky Gervais is a, you know, started out with 
not as a stand-up, but as a uh, like a, a a writer and story writer and stuff. So, how many am I missing? Any? Is there any of this you can think of right now? Um. Well, I know that uh, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head now. Uh, Nick Offerman did one. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the guy from Parks and Rec. Okay, um, I don't know him. It's a good example of of a comedy special that that has this cohesive, overarching thing to it but but i think is worse off because of it like it feels it feels like he had a series of of jokes that he decided to kind of craft into a single story that didn't work as well Mm -hmm. who else um i'm trying to remember he the the daily show correspondent who was the mac and pc guy as well yeah Mm -hmm. i know i know you're talking about but his name is escaping me right now yeah he did one that was called ragnarok and mm-hmm. the the theme of it was the this was the last the, the comedy special was occurring before the end of the world, which was happening at midnight that night. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, and and so it it was kind of uh, absurd. And at one point, he, I think midnight actually happens, and they realize that you know it hasn't happened, and he's been you know telling all these personal stories, um, and he's he's kind of devastated. Yeah, that, that it didn't. Um, and then, did you end up watching Mike Barbiglia's My uh, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend? No, I did not. Okay, so Mike Barbiglia, he's I'm a big fan of his, but he he has a lot of uh, smaller bits. But what he did was my my girlfriend's boyfriend tells a single story, but it tells that single story in a number of different layers. And you're peeling it apart and you're peeling it apart, getting getting closer and closer to the center of it. And it's almost at like it, you definitely don't realize how how cohesive it is until maybe midway through and you start to see the connections. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an impressive piece of narrative, let alone uh, hilarious comedy. So I think you're right that it it is rarer. Um, and I think that that's a good example of kind of playing with the format. Yeah, and would you say the word rarer or more rare? <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> medium rare. It's medium rare. So the reason I want to ask that question is because I like you. I, I think I like the the the, the cohesive special better um, in concept, in principle, in idea. But when I actually go into practice and think of like, what are the stand-up specials that I personally like the most and could watch? all the time it's specials like louis ck or um some uh, there's some louis black specials or dave Chappelle or chris rock or just like you know just a or or george carlin like just a special that's just them talking i don't even know what it's called and i enjoy watching it so much because i like this character i like the feel of an entire show that's just their comedy and it does it in the moment doesn't really matter to me whether it's cohesive because I'm having a good laugh watching it, and I'm very entertained by it all. But in principle, I think I like the cohesive pieces better. Does that make sense? Is that yeah. weird? Is there there's a, there, is there a contradiction there, or is that just like a, a fact of life that we're all walking hypocrites? <laughs> well, I mean, I think part of it is pulling off a cohesive, entire entirely cohesive comedy special. It's difficult. Like it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, on so for starters. A comedy special already has a high level of difficulty. Remember jokes, enough jokes for an hour. Make yeah. it, uh, make it always funny. Never stop moving. Never stop with the humor, and and you know do that do that to a live crowd. Like that's that's hard enough. But doing that within a a unified narrative, it it takes it further away from a comedy special and more towards a play at yeah. some points and yeah which is why that dimitri martin if i special does feel like a play it doesn't really feel like a comedy special uh it is and i know it is but it feels a little more like a piece of theater yeah and actually you no know, so so one the, so the middle ground for me the, the thing that that i is is where comedians do like uh maybe they only do five bits but each bit is like seven or eight minutes yep. you know and that is a thing of the the like all the comedy specials i just mentioned like uh, Louis Black, Louis C.K., uh, uh, George Carlin, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, they do those where they have a bit that lasts for a huge chunk of the show, and then they move on to another bit, and then another bit, and then another bit. And like uh, like Jerry Seinfeld, to me, 
is one of the best bit writers ever. Yep. And I'm not, that's not even a hyperbole to me, but he'll like start by saying, you know, like the, the, mo- the pop tart joke, the moment I saw the pop tart, the back of my head blew right off. And from that point on for the next like seven minutes, it's all about this pop tart joke until it finally hits the, the punchline of, uh, of, you know, there's two in the box, two slots in the toaster and they can't get stale cause they were never fresh. And it just has this perfect rhythm and you know, the joke is over and everybody laughs and claps. And then he can go into another bit, right? And like his bits just have this perfect beginning and end and everything in the between is like wonderfully set up uh, that each one of them is like its own little story, so to speak, you know? Uh, and his whole show is not that cohesive, but within it, every bit is perfectly connected. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how how true this is but i think i'm gonna say it anyway i think one of the well that's one most of, the, of that is most of what this podcast is <laughs> i i don't think of comedians as storytellers and i know that they are telling stories very very often but i think of them as telling jokes and i think of storytelling as more of a drawn-out process and and there are I think there are comedians who are able to tell stories and and I think that many can and choose not to but the format almost lends itself better to very short isolated jokes and so you know being able to tell a 7 minute 7 minute bit that certainly is humorous throughout it but the the real punch of it is at the end like that's that's risky as a yeah Mm-hmm. a comedian because to to be to be able to just be on stage and have the audience not engaging with you when it's a format that is so suited to a very particular kind of engagement like you're you're not as a comedian you know ha- having people gasp or awe or or be emotionally touched very often it's humor and so they're going to laugh at you and if you're not getting laughter you're almost not doing your job yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think like the long bits, like the seven minute bits with the big punch at the end, throughout the bit, there's so many punches. Like yeah. it's not, it's not, it's a lot of jabs and then a big hook, you know, like they're not, they're not just telling you this huge long setup for one punchline, like the clown joke or the, those stupid jokes that kids learn. <laughs> but they're like these, they are, there are many jokes within the bit. The biggest one just happens to be at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think of of somebody like Zach Galifianakis. Do you do you enjoy his his humor? I I I do very much, and I I don't know if it's because I am a you know I, I work in the world of comedy a lot, mm-hmm. so I appreciate his kind of alt take on comedy. <laughs> like, did did you see the bit where he did uh, he did like old English stand up? <laughs> no. He came out dressed in like an old English kind of garb. And had a scroll that he unraveled and came out and was like, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. What is it with the palace food? And just did like cliched bad comedy jokes, but in an old olden day kind of talk. So funny as someone who works in a world where people are being funny. <laughs> you know, like, like that. And that same with Maria Bamford. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, they are... The the humor that like their their jokes are obviously funny, but at times they're they're actually not. Like Zach Galifianakis is, is seems just as happy with a joke where people don't laugh, where they're just confused at the end of it, as he is with one that has gotten people you know hysterical. And in fact, maybe more so with one where people are are confused. Yeah, and and it's it's an interesting kind of pushing at the at the style a little bit because I don't know if you go to a Zach Galifianakis comedy special to laugh. Like that's not, you you go for the experience of it, which will include laughter, but it's almost as if his weirdness is, is meant to kind of transcend humor at points and just be, be strange. Yeah. And Maria Bamford, I think, is another good example of that, where it's not about the laughter per minute. It's it's about walking away from it and just kind of having a feeling 
Yeah, and you know this this is like a I mean as an improviser and and theater performer. Uh I don't do stand-up comedy, so I don't do like like getting up and making jokes and getting the laughter. But I work with comedy. And to me one of the things I I always remind myself or as often as I can remind myself about comedy is that there's not just one kind of laugh. Yeah. A laugh like the audible sound of people laughing is is could be for many reasons it could be because they're uncomfortable it could be because they're they're feeling very comfortable it could be because they're confused and trying to cover it up there's lots of reasons to laugh um but there's also just lots of different kinds of humor so there's the laugh that is like the laugh out loud i'm shocked and surprised that you said that kind of laugh but then there's also the laugh of of confirmation of like of of oh yeah yeah I know what he's talking about uh, right or there's the little laugh you do to the person you're with when you lean over and you're like that's just like you and you kind of smile more than laugh right and so there's plenty of ways to feel joyfully uh, uh, entertained in a comedic way other than just out loud laughing and so I think with someone like Galifianakis or or Maria Bamford they are playing to those those types of laughter as well as the, the like shocking out loud laugh you know like like maria bamford's uh old mcdonald had a farm e-i-e-i-o and on this farm there was a pterodactyl e-i-e-i-o and then with a and she lets out this pterodactyl sound for like a minute Do you know that one Do you yeah. remember that joke yeah you laugh out loud funny first right there's a laugh on she says pterodactyl that's funny and then when she does the sound, there's a huge laugh. And then the sound keeps going for too long. And you go into like an uncomfortable laugh. And then afterwards, you have this like, I can't believe that she did that as a joke kind of laugh. You know, because <laughs> like that was the joke. She just made a pterodactyl sound for like a minute. And that joke is like a great example of like all these different kinds of laughter in one joke. Yeah. Well, and, and this, I think, points to the, the different levels of a comedy special as well, because, I mean, we haven't talked about the, the comedians who are, say, highly political and have, have, a, have an agenda behind, uh, behind a lot of their comedy, because there's, I mean, that is, uh, I mean, that's always been around, but it's definitely a, a strong field where part of it is humor, but part of it is also to poke at a system that they find uh, absurd, offensive, frustrating, whatever. Yeah. And this this can be everything from, you know, Chris Rock talking about the differences between black and white America. It can be something like uh, Ali Wong, who is, you know, talking about the, the experiences of being Asian in the U.S. and a woman. Uh, or it can be something like Robin Williams, who has a political agenda, you know, against the climate in which he, he was he was speaking. And so those different uh, layers of comedy really add different kinds of nuances to what you're laughing at, how you're going to take it. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, I'm just going to take a, I might be taking a step off into a tangent here, but bear with me. Let's go this way. Because um, uh, stand-up comedy is not just about comedy. There are, like you just mentioned with Robin Williams, clearly pushing an agenda George Carlin was very similar. You know, oh, he yeah. had he was not just making jokes, but he was making valid points, you know, like uh, about censorship and about how ridiculous it is. And same with like pro-lifers and how ridiculous they are and anti-drug laws and how stupid they are and how they're not working. And like he, he attacks these things that are ridiculous. And then that's where the comedy comes from. And I think like like the classic like John John Stewart show uh, and political satire is not a new thing it's been around forever but but a lot of the comedians that came out of that show that have gone on to do stand up with it you know like even John Oliver or uh Lewis Black is the one that I think I've seen more of his full specials like red like uh red white and screwed I think is one that he did Albert's him just talking about politics for yeah. the whole hour and not only is he making funny jokes about politics but he's just talking about politics. He's just talking about it and getting angry, which is what's funny. But the, what he's saying is true. And yeah. that is like uh, a place where stand-up comedy is like, I, I think it's, it's such a valuable art form in the sense that, uh, what's the saying? The, the jester was the only one who could tell the king he was a fool. Mm. 
right? And so like through this ability of comedy, we can actually approach these topics that we're not supposed to talk about and that are taboo. And I think, I mean, someone like, I mean, both both Whoopi Goldberg and and Chris Rock, right? They they were comedian uh, were uh, at the time where where they were new comedians. They were speaking truth to power. Well, yeah, and ri- I mean Richard Pryor as well. Like like to go way back to yeah one of the first greats. Like that that definitely continue, sir. Continue. Well, well, no, it's it's just they were they were they had an agenda that they that humor was a part of part of the way that they played it. And so, you know, uh, Lewis Black is is somebody who can get away with with that kind of raw anger. Uh, Chris Rock doing that kind of raw anger on stage. I don't know if his agenda would have been served very well by it. Yeah. Regardless of his his particular style. But they're through comedy speaking a a greater message that the comedy is a part of but is not that is not the sole part of it. And yeah. And I think like, uh, I think the, the, the race issues in America, black and white, uh, race issues, especially are handled a lot through stand up comedy. Like it's one of the places where I think it was ever like the first time I, I ever actually encountered it was probably through stand up comedy. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like they didn't teach, they didn't, we didn't talk too much about that in social studies in high school, you know, especially being Canadian. Right. But but uh, listening to Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle uh, making jokes about such such like uh, horrific hate, you know, like uh, brings it uh, to the forefront where people see it, and we're laughing only because it's we recognize it is true. Yeah, well, and and there there's a there's a degree to which it it brings people people along who maybe otherwise wouldn't have been in the mindset, right? Like when you're in an environment where you can laugh, you laugh and then sometimes you think about what you're laughing about. And so it, it, it's able to, to bridge a boundary where just speaking to someone about how terrible something is, doesn't necessarily have that same, uh, same strength. And I mean, there are in Canada. I'm probably confusing people's names, but uh, uh, Ryan Ryan McMahon and Howie Miller are uh, Indigenous Canadian uh, Indigenous Canadians Indigenous comedians in Canada who speak very often to Indigenous Indigenous issues in in Canada, and the way that they're they're coming at the issues is with their perspective, but they're and and they're using humor, but it's honest you know and yeah and speaking about the the difficult race relations that we have here in this country and so i it, it's such an impressive style uh or or uh medium for that yeah and we're getting a little bit off specials i guess and into just the general idea of stand-up comedy but but i think it's an important thing to talk about because i think a lot of specials are centered around those sort of things right like I think uh what was what was Chris Rock's uh what was the name of the special he did? Not Rock. Or what did he do one called Rock? I can't I'm, remember. I'm sure he did, but uh Bring the Pain, is that the one that it was? Bring the Pain? <laughs> yeah, Bring the Pain. I found it here. Where he's talking and it it is a lot about like it is a lot about uh black issues, the whole special. You know, because I mean, that's what he as a comedian talked about a lot. I, I mean, especially when he was starting out. But so that whole so I think the idea of like the topics that we can't talk about being talked about in comedy do shape the specials that we do see. Like Lewis Black is another great example. All politics, all politics yeah. all the time. Uh, and that's what his whole special is about. And it's called Red, Red, White and Screwed to encapsulate that uh, so that we get an idea of what this whole special is going to be about. In some ways, we're talking about something that has been around as long as stand-up comedy has been recorded. But, I mean, the, the, the comedy album and the comedy special are, are kind of subtly different things. And, I mean, the, I mean, a comedy album is... Like, Bill Cosby had a ton of comedy albums, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, I like how both of us were subtly trying to not bring up Bill Cosby because of how terrible a person he is. <laughs> yeah, but then you, you get to the <laughs> but point But he's got to come up. He's got to come up eventually. Sorry, people. We don't necessarily like Bill Cosby. No. But he did a lot in the world of stand-up comedy. Sorry, continues, Steve. That was just a disclaimer. 
Well, but I, I mean, it's, it's one of those, I, like, I, I would never have thought like Bill Cosby had, I wouldn't have thought of him having ever done a comedy special like that when we were, when we were talking about it. And then I realized, of course he did comedy specials, but they were, they were albums at the time, yeah, which is you very, couldn't, you couldn't buy and hold a video. You could only buy audio at that point. Yeah. And, and so I guess I, I, I wonder whether there's something particularly special about the the visual edition of the medium where i mean someone like dimitri martin or mike barbiglia will play with the medium a little bit and and do something fun and visual and i'm I'm, yeah no i'm just i wonder what that that distinction is uh i don't i don't know if there's like i think uh when i think of comedy albums that are very different than the comedy specials we see visually uh, i think of like adam sandler's things that he did where they were it wasn't even Stand up, it was just sketches, mm-hmm. but they were just audio sketches, and you could buy it. And it had like some of them were songs, like a piece of shit car was on there. Um, and then others were like, you know, Toll Booth Willie, uh, I'm coming out of the booth. And it was all these like verbal sketches that were a little silly and ridiculous, but nothing that was like it wasn't like stand up. So, so there's some, some albums that are very different than what we would consider specials, but some were just like that Bill Cosby mm-hmm. one I think you're talking about. The one I remember listening to, one of the first specials I remember listening to was a Bill Cosby special where he basically like each track is a different story he would tell. And then the stories are hilarious and, and funny, like uh, the one about Noah building the boat and Noah's drunk. Uh, and the God says, make it. Uh, what's the word? Uh, how, what's the measurement of Noah's boat? Cubits. Yeah. He's like this many cubits by this many cubits. And Noah says, what's a cubit? Right. Um, <laughs> but like, I remember the, that special and it was literally just recordings of him doing live performances. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I, I guess there's something that seems easy to me about filming a or, or about recording a comedy album and something where the level of difficulty of recording a comedy special uh, is different in that, like, you really only get one take. Yeah, and that's uh, that was what I was about to say. Is like the big difference would be a comedy special taped video, is is one straight through special. There might be some cuts, and they cut out a few jokes that didn't land very well, and they edit between them. But for the most part, it's just like one take for that one night when you did those one jokes. Whereas the tapes, the albums that you would buy, they could have all been from different performances. You have no idea. Well, yeah. And I get like Eddie Murphy, uh, uh, his uh, first comedy special was like Eddie Murphy Raw. And I think that that gets at the idea. Like if you do an album, you can have, even if the album is straight through, Mm -hmm. you're you're not sure, right? Because tracks change and that sort of stuff. Whereas if, if you're recording someone on a stage... You you get you you get what's on the tin. It's very straightforward, and so it has it does have that more raw feel to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, hmm. definitely. Wow, hey, that is that's something I didn't, I didn't think about much before we got on was albums. I totally forgot about comedy albums. Yeah, it's one of those weird. I in trying not to think about Bill Cosby, I just stumbled into it. Yeah, and it's something that I don't think I'll, uh, when I try and explain it to my kid, he might not get it. Well, he might get it. I say they were like podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I uh, okay. So uh, we're getting kind of nearish to the end of the podcast here, I think. But uh, what what is uh, what is the when you think of comedy specials, like uh, like I think I mean my introduction was Bill Cosby. What was your introduction? I would guess Robin Williams, and it's not that he would be my first, but he would—he's the first one that I really strongly recall. Mm, nice. Um, so, when it comes to comedy specials, when you think of them, what what is the what are the comedy specials that come to your mind? Is like, yes, these are the like iconic classic comedy specials that need to go down in that that will go down in history as comedy specials. <sighs> that's a that's a difficult question because. Because a lot of comedy specials are just like, okay, here's a bunch of com- here's a comedian telling a bunch of jokes, and it'll, you know, the next time he comes out with another special, I'd rather watch that than go back and watch this other comedy special again. Where it's like there are some specials that I will want, I want to go back to, and watch the special. Yeah. So like the, I mean, are you kind of asking for the Citizen Kane of comedy specials? Citizen Kane's. Uh, I'm not going to limit you to just one because like. 
that's impossible to say like this this one special is a special that everyone needs to remember and go watch all the time like like for instance one that i would say is a comedy special that should that will i'm i'm pretty con, con, uh, con, uh, uh sure it will go down in history as one of the greatest comedy specials uh even though it's aged very badly okay can you guess what it is already i can't it's eddie murphy delirious Eddie Murphy Delirious. Okay. Like that is a comedy special that uh, as a special for what it was in its time and what it did. And uh, when you watch it, the jokes that are in there and some of those bits like like the, the ice cream man bit where Eddie Murphy is talking about kids getting ice cream and the dancing that he does and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and a lot, a lot of the race stuff he deals with is a little like in poor taste. And he does a lot of homophobic jokes that are in, in today's world like outright offensive but back then were completely acceptable in the 80s um but that is like so so it's aged poorly so keep that in mind but it is a special that i think we will look back on the same way we'd like you know look back on like like huckleberry finn and like how that's a very important book and story but it has aged badly because of some of the language so like that's just one example of something that might be a citizen kane like special what do you think what do you got so I'm I'm not going to I mean I guess I could google very quickly. Um but somebody who I I would I would point to as their comedy specials being that at that level um would be Eddie Izzard. Ah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. I, I know. Um, I'm uh, I'm I'm not too familiar with Eddie Izzard. He was never like my guy, you know. He's never my kind of comedian because he was kind of like more like weird costumes and stuff. His comedy specials I like I can't I can't delineate delineate any of them to to point out one in particular but I would I would imagine that he's got something that I would say probably showcases the the style at its at its height um and then I mean to to pick another uh much more recent would be something like I I would say Zach Galifianakis live at the Purple Onion Really you think that's going to like go down like that should go down in history as one of the greatest comedy specials you're not going to say like Robin Williams on Broadway or whatever. Sure, I mean I think, but this is like so much of Robin Williams is uh, like I remember uh, live on Broadway being very tied to like the Iraq War, even like, and and a lot of the jokes that he was telling at the time, they I don't know if they hold up in the cl- climate where we're in, and so it it's still good if you can put yourself in that context but i don't know if it endures as well as something like live at the purple onion which is just i you you watch i i think i watched it and then watched it again the next day like after the first time just because i i was so impressed confused amazed and just a wide range of of strange feelings for for it and I thought it was just really well done. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, go. And I'll say Mike Barbiglia, my girlfriend's boyfriend. Okay, I've got to watch this then. Yeah, that, I, that think I did do. not. I did not get around to watching, but I definitely am going to have to watch it. So another mm-hmm. special I think should go down in history. Mm-hmm. And this is weird because it's like, yeah, maybe this is this is I'm, I'm breaking the rules here because it's not even the special. Like I'm not even talking about the special. The special doesn't need to go down in history. But this bit needs to go down in history, which happens to be part of the special, which is uh, which is George Carlin's seven seven words you can't say on television. Yeah, which is just such a beautiful attack at censorship and exploration of that whole concept in in that George Carlin sort of uh, like beat poet as a comedian kind of way. Yeah, it's the only way I can describe it because the whole the whole bit is just so rhythmic and poetic, and so many of Carlin's bits are when you watch him. Uh, they're just so rhythmic, and the poetry of it, and the the repetition and the rhythm, and it almost sounds like he's singing a song as he's listing all of these things that are so dumb. And like it's it's this, uh, yeah, it is incomparable. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I and and like I know the bit perfectly. You're absolutely right. And whether or not the 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 special itself endures, I don't know. I think yeah. I think Carlin endures because of bits as opposed to a single special. Um which is not to say that his specials were bad. I can't I wouldn't say that, but Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I see what you mean. Yeah. Mhm. Cool. So, can yeah. can, oh, can I share got... one 
Oh, no, you, sorry, do you have something else? No, you sound like you have something you need to say. Go for it. So so in preparing for, for this this week, I was watching a bunch of comedy specials, and comedy specials are one of the, the few comedy genres that I just, I enjoy. Like, yeah. I'm not a big fan of sitting and watching a comedy TV show for the most part, um, and for reasons that will, I guess, become clear in a second or two, but watching comedy specials, I realized something about myself that I've kind like I've always known, but has made me uh, I, I was hyper aware of it while watching. I am uh, I'm an annoying audience member, Dave. Do you mean that when you hear someone say a joke, you repeat it? No, no, that <laughs> that I'm not those people. Those people. Okay, good. Uh, those people need to be taken out and shot. But uh, I am. You can hear me when like when, you can hear me i'm i'm very loud with my enjoyment of a show uh, and often i will be the only person laughing or the first person laughing and to the point where like i was watching uh i mean dimitri martin did it mike barbiglia does it but i mean lots of lots of stand-ups do this where they will pick on a particular audience member who is enjoying the show uh, more so than maybe other people. And I realized I would probably be one of those people who's picked on because I have laugh. a loud laugh. Yeah, a loud, recognizable laugh. Yeah. And, and so you're not afraid to laugh. No, I'm not afraid to laugh. And I laugh when I find the humor, not when the when the moment is. And so I think I think you've said this before. You've you've accused me of laughing at the setup. Uh, instead of the punchline because yeah. when i get there i find it funny and so mm -hmm. that's that's funny yeah you know i i think i'm a great audience member because i laugh exactly when the comedian wants me to laugh i laugh at the end of every joke even if it's not that funny i will laugh out loud because i know that that's going to make other people laugh more and it's going to make the whole show better and i also clap I clap at applause breaks because i know that if they're if i start clapping at a moment when we could clap, and the audience hears that, and a couple other people also started clapping. It might be enough to get a huge applause break in the middle of the set, which, again, is going to inspire the comedian to be even better. So I do everything I can to be, like, the best of the audience members so that the show, in the end, is better for everyone. Well, and that's what I thought I was because, like, as a performer, I, I try and, you know, think of myself in, in that position and, and the kind of things that I'd want and joke, I want jokes to hit and I want to draw on the energy of the audience. And so I had this, this vision of myself as a, as a good audience member. But, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm you, Dave. I, I think I'm me. <laughs> you are. And hey, you be you. I'll be me. Um, yeah, I, I try to encourage the performer to be as good as possible so that they tell better jokes and they get funnier. Unless they're being really offensive and I don't want to laugh, and in which case I won't laugh at all. Yeah. But I'll never boo. I'm not that guy. You'll never boo? No, I won't boo. I won't heckle. I'm not that guy. I I have a hard time. Like, why would you? Like, I, I guess people get drunk and go see a show. I guess that's... like. But I can't imagine why you would just choose to... Go pay money to see a show, interrupt the show just by being a dick, and like clearly ruin the comedy of it. Like, if you don't enjoy a joke, stopping that joke in order to continue focusing on it is not going to get you further away from it. Yeah, I think hecklers are not heckling because for any like, um, any greater good. Like, they're not, they're not like, oh man. Someone has to stand up for this audience. I need to heckle this guy so that he knows he can't say that. Like, no heckler is coming from that. They're they're heckling because they think they're funny and they want to talk. Or they think by heckling, they're giving the they're setting the comedian up to be funny by by commenting on the heckler, right? Like some hecklers I know have felt like, oh man, me you're, you're, me heckling was like the best part of that show because it gave him so much good material, right? Uh, and they're proud of that. And that is, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I, I realize you're right. I have created a vision of hecklers in my mind that is these noble creatures. <laughs> yeah, they're not doing it because they think the joke is like, this joke needs to be corrected, everyone. Because like, um, those kind of hecklers aren't actually hecklers. They're just people saying stuff. 
you know, like if, if the comedian says, yeah, it was 2006. And the person in the audience goes, 2007, actually. They'd be like, oh, thank you, 2007. Like, <laughs> like someone correcting you is not a heckler. A heckler is a asshole. <laughs> Oh man! So, uh, j- one last one last question before sure. we end things. Uh, have you have you ever done stand up? Have you ever done? I have. Like, you have. Yeah, I have done some stand up. Um, and it went well. Like, uh, it, it wasn't like I bombed, and then gave up on it. It's just I I had I had a bit in my mind, and I went and I did it, and it went great, and people laughed at the bit. But then I was like, eh, I don't really like the bit that much to like keep doing it, you know. And it was very topical, so it, it wasn't funny anymore uh, after like a few months. Anyway, um, and I so I only did the bit like a few times, and then it was just kind of like, well, I guess that's it. I got to come up with another bit, and I was never inspired enough to do it. Like the act of doing stand up felt it actually felt easier than I thought it was going to be because uh, I've always looked at stand up comedians like the most difficult thing a performer could ever do. I still think it is one of the most difficult things a performer could ever do, but. When I did it, it was this like, oh, you know what? The audience expecting you to be funny is actually makes it easier than harder. I always thought it would make it harder because you have to be funny. But really right. it is like they are expecting you to be funny. So if you do something that's mildly funny, they will laugh because they're in that mind space. Like I think one of the times I did it, I, I opened by, I didn't even say that. I just went up, I grabbed the microphone and then I moved the microphone closer to my face and then moved my face further away from the microphone. And everyone laughed. That wasn't funny. I didn't do anything funny, but they were expecting comedy, so they started laughing. Uh, and it was just kind of this moment of realizing that that is such a uh, a pleasure to have that than a, than a difficulty. So I did it a couple times. I mean, the bit was about the BC Liberals, though not the BC Liberals, sorry, the Federal Liberal Party of Canada. Before, so right when during the like the the election right after Harper got in. Okay. So this would have been like 8 uh, 7 6 7 years ago. I, I can't I, I I can't figure it out. But it's been a long time. And so that's how long ago it was that I did it. I, I keep thinking about trying it again, but whenever I try and come up with bits, I'm never happy enough with them, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the reason I I enjoy improvising so much is cuz I can't look at my bit and not like it or I can't look at my decision and judge it. Before I show it to someone, I'm showing it to them right then. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? You ever tried it? I haven't, but I... So we, we're we both friends with Wes Lord. Of course, yeah. Hey, Wes. And since Wes started getting into stand-up, I have kept a, a running... I, I will call it a stand-up journal, even though that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But it's... I just keep having ideas where I'm like, oh, yeah, I, if I was going to do stand-up, this is, this is the kind of joke that I would do. And I just write the joke in its raw form, and I never return to it. And I just, like, I've, I've realized it's this growing, this growing body of stand-up jokes that I have never done anything with or tried to do anything with. And it's just in the back of my mind always like, yeah, maybe one day I'll go do stand-up with this giant booklet of material that I've, <laughs> I've cultivated over you know, the last six years. I would, uh, I would recommend trying it. Yeah, maybe I will. I mean, I, I you think know. you'd get a kick out of it. It, it, it does seem, seem like fun, but I almost, I, I worry that I'm too much of an improviser where I, I would probably want to be more fluid with what's going on than, than the follow a rigid, uh, set. Yeah, I hear you. I, I agree. I agree with that. But you do kind of have to do a rigid set with stand-up. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the worry, right? Like, so. Like, when I, I used to do spoken word poetry a lot more. So I did a lot of poetry, which is very similar to stand-up comedy, except instead of the goal being punchlines and jokes, the goal is saying pretty things. Yeah, pretty and pretentious things that make people go, ah, oh, mm, yeah, mm. Right? Uh, so it's just a different goal. But it's the same process of, like, finding a thing and then working that thing and, and keep trying to make it better or more of whatever you need it to be and polishing it up and cutting out as many words as possible so that you hit the beats just right. Uh, which is why when I see George Collin, I'm like, he's totally a beat poet at heart, you know? Because um, it's just like polished down to like perfect. The, the, it's not even, it's not the, the idea that's funny. It was the word choices that made that funny, you know? Uh, and Jerry Seinfeld is a great example of that too, where, where he starts his jokes with a funny word. 
you know, like, and if he finds a funny word, he'll say it. Like, they're always drizzling in these restaurants. They're always drizzling. Why are they always drizzling? Why can't they just dump it on there once in a while? <laughs> yeah. The bit works because the word drizzle is funny to say, right? Yeah. Like, that's so, like, a lot. So, it's got some similarities there. And so, and I, I guess I always just found the, the process of spoken word poetry a little more enjoyable for me as a writer and easier for me to find a way into than, than stand up comedy. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Chris Rock's uh, special cut from two different performances of it? No. No, I haven't. There's a special Chris Rock did, and there's two tapings of it. And he's the only difference is he's wearing like a different jacket. <laughs> and they cut between the two specials just at random moments throughout the bit. And you can't tell except that his clothing keeps changing. <laughs> like he's that tight. Like yeah. his, he turns at the same moment. He says the same line and the exact same inflection every time. Like he just jumps back and forth, and you can't tell which one you're watching except for the fact that he's wearing a different jacket. It's amazing. You got to, you got to see if you can find it. It's, it's. Yeah, cool. I, I will check that out. Well, good. Anyway, uh, last thing to say about specials. Uh no, I th- I think we've covered it, and uh, maybe maybe Stephen or Raw coming to a stand up uh, near you. <laughs> Please call it that. <laughs> 